All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Energy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight, we're hopping in our DeLoreans, and we are going back to 1986, or is it 1985? I forget. But we're going back to the future, and my co-host is Robert, and Robert's here, and we are going to do this show with you with a guest. We will introduce him in just a moment when we get into the last night's part of the show, but Robert, tell us, mm. how is the uh, preparation H happening like your your moving plan How, how's it feels that going? good on the whole you know in general it, it feels good um been a lot done throwing away a lot of stuff donating a lot of stuff the garage sale was a tremendous success tremendous it was the best garage sale you'll never see a better garage sale tremendous garage sale did you have a permit and uh, did you pay all the proper taxing authorities for the privilege of selling your old things to willing buyers you know, that's one of the few things that I guess government tolerates around here because you don't have to do that crap. But I imagine it's probably only a matter of time before they're like, you know, all these people selling their stuff. We're not getting a cut of it. I just grinds their gears. All these people freedoming over here. Totally inappropriate. How do people trust it? Fills them with rage. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of rage, what do we get? So like when Doc, when Doc, when Doc Brown has some weather sensing equipment in the movie. Because you remember the movie, right? Because you just watched it the, with the weather sensing, and, and then the cop comes and asks them for the permit. Remember that? Yeah, about ten years you remember ago. That part of the movie? About a decade ago. Watch this movie. No, it just it <laughs> happened in the movie. It happened in the movie. Remember that? Do you remember that? No, not. Or at did all. that not happen in the movie? I'm gonna say it did not happen. Oh, it happened. Oh, Daniel, Daniel, it did happen. Oh, you're ruining my mm. entire presentation here. You got a presentation? Yeah. A movie like critic, first time ever. A movie critic who takes his movie critiquing seriously, so that he watches every movie. Oh, your facade. Yes, yeah, my Hollywood backlot western-themed facade of cutout buildings has now been. Wait, so is that sullied. backdrop just a a matte painting? Is that what that is? Yeah, this is a this forced is perspective. Behind you. <laughs> it's a forced perspective, and uh, I'm not even. This is all actually uh, dubbed, so I'm just actually moving my lips, speaking another language. And then I have an actor come in and do the voice voiceover for this. How do you have a budget for all of that? Because I'm not getting a dime off of this. What's happening? Oh, man. Well, why don't we get into the last night's part of the show where we will actually talk about this movie with our guest. Uh, we can make more fun of me for not watching this movie. How's that sound? I just can't wait for the final summary and review because you're going to have to just bullshit your whole way through it. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best, baby. <laughs> all right, here we go. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters. The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Tonight, we are doing a special episode, 88. We're going to hit 88 miles per hour 
on our way to talk about Back to the Future with our friend and guest, former guest, Doc Brown, who is joining us all the way from the East Coast. So it's pretty late for him. But uh, this promises to be a very good discussion. And a uh, spoiler alert, both Doc Brown and myself have not seen this movie in a period of time. But our illustrious co-host, Robert Johnson, watched it last night. So we're going to be leaning on him heavily. But uh, this show notes and more can be found at lastnighters.com slash 88. That's two eights, and it is not a dog whistle, I promise. It's just, it happened to be the number after 87, and it will be preceding 89. Just so that's clear, so everyone. Is, so is Bob Zemeckis uh, a closet Hitler fan? Is that what's going on here? Just like a Nazi dog whistle, this whole movie? This might be before that was even a thing. I don't really know. That seems to be a rather recent uh, libertarian infighting mm-hmm. thing. No, Hitler Hitler died in 45. Allegedly. And this movie was made in 85. This is 40 years later. I think I think the movie was made after Hitler died. Right, but there wasn't the dog whistling stuff happening in 85, I don't believe. But who knows? I mean No, but like but the neo-Nazis already had like the 88 tattoos and the I don't know what are what are all those what was that movie we did Green Room or whatever it was that had all the all that stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forget what what do you even call that? Like the colors? Like the, yeah, they like, you know, certain tattoos that meant things. Like if you watch a prison documentary, all the 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 neo-Nazi gangs have certain tattoos that all signify things. I think that they predate the dog whistling stuff. Those neo-Nazi gangs have been in prison for a long time. All right. Well I Yes, I'm right. He he must be right. I'm not, I'm not getting in this one. <laughs> all right. Well, let's introduce our friend Doc Brown. Doc Brown hails all the way from the East Coast. Puxitani, right? And uh, you were a guest yes. with us for The Shining and It almost two long years ago. So it has been far too long. And we're having you back for Back to the Future. Uh, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then we can get into the Google description and start talking about this movie. Cool. Uh, I am a librarian by profession and I am a former ghostwriter. And I have lived everywhere from Western PA to right outside New York City. So I've lived in the, some of the liberal bastion that makes up our wonderful country. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else you want to know. I, I like to read. I am a bibliophile. I run a number of book clubs and I also love my movies. So that's why I like you guys with your podcast. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, it's nice to be appreciated out in the uh, dark pole world here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we, we appreciate having you on. And uh, why don't we get into the Google description for Back to the Future. It came out in 1985. Fantasy sci-fi, one hour, 56 minutes, 8.5 on the IMDb, 96% Rotten Tomatoes, 87% Metacritic, and 96% of Google users liked this movie. They gave it the thumbs up. The description is, in this 1980s sci-fi classic, small-town California teen Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, is thrown back into the 50s when an experiment by his eccentric scientist friend, Doc Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, goes awry. Traveling through time... In a modified DeLorean car, Marty encounters young versions of his parents and must make sure they fall in love or he'll cease to exist. Even more dauntingly, Marty has to return to his own time and save the life of Doc Brown. This came out July 3rd, 1985, director Roger, uh, Robert Zemeckis. The featured song is The Power of Love, and I believe Steven Spielberg was uh, related to this movie as well. Uh, Robert, let's get your take, and then we'll go to second Doc Brown. Cousins. Spielberg is second cousins to Back to the Future. Um, yeah, this movie holds up. And, and how? I mean, the special effects, of course, aren't gonna. It's a lot of, um, you know, what they had available to themselves, of course, in 85. It was probably cutting edge time. And they, they obviously spent some cash to make them look decent. But 
they didn't make these movies for HD and 4K, especially. It's probably going to look even worse in 4K. But, you know, the storytelling is so tight. This movie, it really kind of surprised me watching it again because Robert Zemeckis filmed it almost like he was filming a TV show. Like the, the actors say their lines and then we cut to the next scene. And there's no like, you know, crane shots, really. There's no real like pauses and like setting the scene and the tone. No like director's flourishes. Like the cinematographer, that must have been his day off or something because it's just, here's the action. We're going to do it. Okay, moving on to the next scene. And so the pacing is really quick. And I, I bet you that helps it stand up to modern times because a lot of movies these days are very fast paced, a lot of cuts. But this isn't like rapid fire cuts, but there aren't, there's not a lot of pauses in this film, like where you're just sitting there and appreciating something. We're moving along. We got a story to tell. It really respects the audience's time and the story holds up. And it was a lot of fun. And I don't know what to say. It's, 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 it's a great movie still. And, I, and if I'm sure we're all three of us going to give it like an 8.8 and be totally lame, but that's what's just, it's just what's going to happen. I still want to hear your final summary review, you big cheaters. <laughs> but. I watched it. I enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, that's that's my current thoughts on the, the very first uh, summary of the thing. Magic. Yeah. All right. And Doc, uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, description and, and anything that Robert has said already? I agree with Robert completely. <clears throat> you have to think uh, some of these folks that were in the movie were also TV stars. So like Michael J. Fox was on Family Ties at the time. So he was going back and forth between that TV show and the movie. And uh, it was quite rigorous schedule for him. So I think they kind of made it a little more conducive for their actors on the show, on the movie. Um, yeah, I love it. it. It is full on 80s, the best of the 80s. Um, it was fun. It was dynamic. It's funny. Um, there was some drama in there, but not too much. There was a little bit of dark comedy in there, but not too much. There was enough dark comedy in there where Disney turned it down because it seemed incestuous when uh, the mother fell for the son, not realizing he was her son. And uh, opposite Oedipus Oedipus Rex, I guess. And it was just cool to see the 50s culture. Um, Back to the Future Part 2 was great to see um, the visions of the future for the people who made the movie. Um, And it had an optimism to it that I think helped propel Part 2 and Part 3. Yeah, it was just an overall great story. Uh, I think the acting was superb. I think everybody that was in their own roles fit the roles perfectly, whether it was Michael J. Fox as Marty, or it was the guy who played Strickland, the ball principal. He was awesome. The guy who played Biff. Um, the, uh, I, Crispin Glover, crazy Crispin Glover even did a great job. Um, yeah, I think it was just an overall wonderful film in every way you can think of it being wonderful. Uh, even the score, uh, the Huey Lewis and the News, they did great with the soundtrack. Um, I forget the composer who did the composing, but that was also awesome. Yeah, just a lot of fun. <clears throat> Reminds you, brings back the 80s. I just love it. All right. Well, I'll, uh, Tim, what are your thoughts, buddy? Come on, I want to hear your thoughts. Well, I'm going to interject <laughs> a little bit now. Now, I will admit I did not watch this movie uh, in, in this decade, but uh, it, it is such <laughs> a cultural icon that I have perhaps not like perfect memories of it, but maybe I've embellished them a little bit, but it is. Uh, one that has stuck with me, and, and I, I think that I can follow along with what you guys are talking about. Now, I do recall that they had a, uh, a a concept that they used, and whether the concept is like theoretically feasible or not, we don't really need to get into that. But if I recall, they are very true to staying within the 
theory that they present and they don't break their world. And that is um, a very good feat to accomplish in a movie because so many movies seem to break their own logic, even within the same film. Yeah, I would agree with that. A yeah, lot of times, yeah, the movies set up a, a world where they got an idea for the, the script of what's going to happen. And then you get to the third act and then it all falls apart. But this movie, absolutely. The, the stakes seem real, but they're also, you know, I mean, they're big for our protagonist, but we care about our protagonist. So we want to see him succeed. But it's not like some yeah, giant world ending thing. Although I think it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion point if we did talk about, you know, the morality of what they do. The morality of because what ends up happening through necess- not necessarily any fault of Marty's, you know, of his own. Like Marty's just trying to survive, right? He he gets in the car because he's getting shot at by the Libyans, AD, by, by the Libyan nationalists, terrorists, and they want to, you know, he wants to escape. And of course, he hits eighty-eight miles an hour, and he's back in nineteen fifty-five. But he, what he ends up doing, kind of, you know, like a blundery way, he kind of blunders into his parents and you know, doesn't realize that he's affecting the future until Doc Brown explains it to him. But what he ends up doing is drastically improving his life in the future by changing George's, like, self-confidence, basically. And, you know, would that be a moral thing to do? I don't know. Yeah, you know, that's a tough question because you almost have to, like, play into, okay, well, if you could go back and change things in the past, you know, the uh, the very famous, would you kill baby Hitler? Or... uh Put another way, in um, the Last Supper, you know, would you kill a young Hitler, a starving artist? And Ron Perlman's character in that one says, "No, you talk to the man, you try to reason with him." Um, but yeah, like if you had the ability to go back and and alter these things, I think that there would be some moral problems with that, especially like when Biff goes back and gets the uh, sports book, he knows all all the future scores, and then he gets rich as a result of that. That's clearly cheating, right? It's I would say it's cheating for sure. But gambling is a voluntary thing. And, you know, bookies make those odds, you know, fully accepting the risk that they could lose. Right. But he has foreknowledge of what will be the outcome. Right. But there's no rule saying you can't have foreknowledge of the outcome of the game. I think that's the premise, actually. (laughs) I think it's the I think it's the reality. But, yeah, I I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing to think about. I I, I don't know the answer. All right. And then, uh, you know. Doc brought up the uh, the reverse Oedipus complex thing and why Disney kind of shied away from this. If I were calling that play on the field, I would call it incidental. Like it was not intentional and it was played off for the comedic value. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think that was all that spicy at all. You haven't watched it recently. <laughs> Dude, you rewatching it last night. I was like, whoa, they went here in 1985. I was, I was, I was pretty impressed. Lorraine really goes for Marty, like in a, Pretty intense way. Like she really comes on to him, like repeatedly in the movie. Very licentious. That's right. Oh yeah, she's she wants to get him alone and do stuff to him. And she drinks liquor, smokes. Oh, oh. yeah. But this is and all played up. Scene where it's all played up for the comedy. Where she's getting raped by Biff. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> going on in this movie. All right, well, that, by today's standards, I guess she would be getting raped because no is no, and anything else. If you if you continue, no matter what you do. Nowadays, that's considered rape. So, yeah. Well, I mean, there's no penetration, but he is absolutely physically assaulted. Exactly. Right. Now, do you think that you said he he builds up George's self-confidence, but something must have back in the original timeline, right? No. No, you don't remember this movie at all. Man. So in the original film, George is peeping Tomming Lorraine 
while he's climbing down in this tree and he falls out of the tree and Lorraine's dad almost hits him with a car or it does hit him. Right. And then she, they take him inside and she feels sorry for him and they kind of build a relationship that way. But in right. the movie, Marty pushes him out of the way. Marty gets hit by the car. And yeah, then, an so then she called for Marty. Yep. It's an instinctual, it was an instinctual blunder. Like, like was pointed out before with Robert's blundering and uh, he wound up taking the hit. And it was reversed. It was the Florence Nightingale effect. And uh, he wakes up in, was it her bed or her brother's bed? Just in his underwear? Her bed. <laughs> yeah. Her in bed. his Calvin Klein's. Yeah. In his purple Calvin, Calvin Klein's. Klein. That's right. He's Calvin Klein back in 1955. That's right. Looking good. But then in 1885, he went Eastwood. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I was impressed by how tiny Michael J. Fox is. Yes. He looks tiny. tiny in this movie. He looks like he's like five foot three, 115 yes. pounds next to everybody else. Yeah. That's that's what he was five, five three and about one hundred fifteen pounds. Yeah. Oh really? I'm like yeah. right on with that. Yeah. The reason I knew I, the reason I happen to know that is because um, when I was in college, I was five. Well, I'm still five three, and I was about one hundred fifteen pounds. And somebody pointed out to me, hey, you know, that's we had just watched the Back to the Future, the Back to the Future marathon at my apartment with a bunch of guys. And they're like, yeah, aren't you the same basic stature as Michael J. Fox? And we did some research, and Google was around then. And uh, yeah, I was pretty. I pretty much fit the same mold as Michael J. Fox, body wise. Though that's how I know that. Mm-hmm. Confirmed. Robert's a genius. <laughs> but no, he really he does. He looks tiny, especially next to the actor playing Biff. Biff just oh, looks yeah. huge, and you know, so it's 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 fun. Biff is uh, he's a pretty good villain. Um, I will say that the movie really uses its sets, kind of almost overuses its sets, like. There's they obviously built this little town center of the 1955 version, and they kind of just go around in circles when he's doing his skateboarding stunts. But you know, it, I don't know how much the movie costs to make, but um, it's still it still looks pretty damn good. I don't know. Well, I mean, everything's got to kind of. Of course, the DeLorean still looks badass. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, Doc, we've talked a little bit. There's a story behind the DeLorean that might be of interest in that uh, the drug war may have been the coup de grace to kill off the DeLorean. Entrapment by our benevolent FBI and government. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so um, Mr. DeLorean, John, I think was his first name, right? John DeLorean? Yes. Wow, yeah, that's right. Um, he got a whole bunch of uh, celebrity investors like Johnny Carson, whatever, to invest in his business. And it wound up not being as successful as he was hoping um, he started manufacturing, I think, Northern Ireland, and but he was going back and forth to California. And the FBI decided to entrap the guy and say that he was trying to buy something like what, 220 pounds of cocaine or something. But uh, he eventually got acquitted for it because he had a clean criminal record before that, and he had some other arguments that he could make. And it, the, the um, funny thing is, he never called any witnesses on his for his defense, but yet he was still acquitted. That's how squeaky clean he came out of all this but with that stigma attached to him even though he was innocent um he once quipped you know would you ever buy a used car from me of course not because now i have this stigma attached to me and because of that the delorean company fell through and uh yeah it's a damn shame because they wound up only making nine thousand of the cars um there wasn't the best performing car and it had a lot of drawbacks that people were not expecting but I think it would have continued to be produced. But for the fact that it wasn't and it stopped, that helped at least the Back to the Future franchise and made the uh, DeLorean stand out that much more. And you have to consider, too, the DeLorean is in itself a character in the movie. Um, 
And uh, it does all the traveling and everything with the guys and the flux capacitor and all that. I would even say the clock tower is also a character. Does that clock tower um, is a pivotal has a pivotal role to play, and especially the um, first movie. But it plays a role in the second movie, and you see it getting I would I wouldn't call it birthed, but you would see it starting to come together in part three. Um, there's different scenes in uh, the third movie where they take the clock face off of a, a wagon and then you see the skeletal structure of the tower being built. So between all the other characters, you can also look at the DeLorean and the clock tower as characters as well. I hope I didn't diverge too much there. Well, I want to say, didn't the DeLorean, when was the main production year? And it was like 83, 84? Uh, yeah, 83, like... 80, 83 to 85. And they did show so from... by the time I this movie know. came out, it was, it was pretty much done. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because I was going to say that as much as raising the profile of the DeLorean this movie does, it, the, the DeLorean breaks down a lot in this movie. So it's yes, almost it like it's almost like not doing it any favors. It's like, yeah, I'm going to feature this car, but it's constantly breaking down. Do you really want to buy one? It does oh, look really cool, though. It travels back in time, though. Come on. Oh, I, 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 I'm not saying I don't want one. I'm no, just no, saying no, right, that, right. you know, I mean, for tension's sake, I, I fully understand, but. Uh, last time I was in New York City, which was last month, I go to New York City once a month. I live, I live a little over an hour outside of New York City, um, so I go there all the time. I saw a DeLorean and I took a picture of it. It was pretty cool. And uh, there was like a bunch of it was me and like five or six guys standing on the corner when this thing came down the street and then made the turn, and we all got our photo, our camera, our phones out and started taking pictures of it. And we were all in awe. I was like, yeah, that DeLorean baby. Too bad they don't make them anymore. I mean, they. I think they do. I think they've started making them again, but it's a case by case basis. I don't know. I don't know if they're just actual DeLorean company. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think it's the actual DeLorean company anymore because they got bought out ten thousand times by whatever. But I know that they're at least refurbishing DeLoreans. Um, you just have to contact them and set up a schedule and stuff like that. I'm sure it's not cheap, but yeah, uh, I know that. Oh, I know. I know they they have it ready to go. Here's another wonderful um, hindrance of our benevolent government. Uh, supposedly one of the environmental laws that got passed regarding, uh, emissions for cars has held up production of the DeLorean. Um, they don't want to make the DeLorean, um, because right now, because they're worried that the law that is, in, has been in process of being passed for like two or three years now, um, it, the DeLorean won't satisfy those requirements once it passes. And then there's going to be all kinds of recalls and frustrations and things like that. So they're just waiting for this particular law. I can't remember it off the top of my head to get passed, uh, for emissions for cars. And then once that happens, they're ready to go. So they have a factory, they have workers, they have everything. So they're making like DeLorean classics. They're not making like DeLoreans, but updated for the modern day. Right. They're just making, they're, they're going to make the same DeLorean, but they're just going to have more modern amenities and upgrades and things of that nature. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a novelty play thing. I know when they yeah, went absolutely. bankrupt and then I think the nail in the coffin was that uh, faux drug bust, but uh, Big Lots, the company bought yep. all of the inventory, all the parts and all of the uh, remaining stuff. And then they were trying to sell it. I, I want to say mail order. I, I saw an advertisement yes. for it uh, posted online. So you could still order them, but it wasn't from the DeLorean company any longer. But it's kind of cool that that they're bringing things back. I mean, nostalgia is a big thing. And like I said in the open, this is a big uh, cultural film and, and the DeLorean plays a big part in it. So I can see there being an appeal and a market for people being able to purchase a vehicle like this, um, not, you know, for your daily driver, but, you know, enthusiasts and and people who have a little bit of extra money to burn, why not? I mean, it's a, it's a really cool car. It's got steel plating, right? Mm-hmm. And that's actually the metal that you're seeing. There's like no paint on these. Um, nope. 
And I guess if you got a, a scratch or a ding or whatever, you'd have to actually not be able to repair it because in a tra traditional car, they, they put in like a, a, a filler material that they can paint over. But on this, it doesn't work like that. And what John DeLorean had originally intended was that you would just replace whatever panel that happened to be. Right. And then that would be how you'd fix your car. I think that maybe isn't like the most efficient way of doing things. Um, and then another thing I saw when we were looking into this is that there were, I think, two or three gold-plated versions that were made as part of an American Express uh, promotion. And one mm -hmm. of them's, I think, in a casino in Nevada somewhere. But, I mean, that would be pretty... That That's that's big pimping right there, having a gold-plated DeLorean. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I think they make cars to crumple now anyway. So I don't know if that's a moot point at this point with the... Um, the car industry because they make them to crumple so then you have to kind of replace whatever um there's something else i wanted to say too ah crap oh well sorry i forget <laughs> well you had mentioned that crispin glover uh is a little bit crazy and Just I, a little. i've seen some interviews of him in recent years and and yeah he does seem to be on the conspiratorial bent and i'll yes. use this as an adjunct into there are videos out there about 9-11 being foretold in the Back to the Future franchise. And Robert, I think I shared this to you, and this must have been five, yeah. 10 years ago. And it is yeah. actually kind of compelling stuff. Like at the very end of the first movie, when the clock tower gets struck by lightning and the car hits 88 miles an hour and disappears going through the uh, movie theater, there's the tire tracks that are in flames. And then there's this like car repair shop with a neon sign that is like a couple of arrows that forms a nine. And then the two tire tracks are an 11. And then there's a couple of other things related that they call, you know, as evidence in this um, kind of wacky uh, YouTube video. But I think that these are interesting angles to take on this. I guess. I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that. That's interesting. I'll have to go back and look. I, I mean, I remember the flames. So well, there's also the the twin pines and then the sol the solitary pine or the one pine. Was it? Uh, you know, it was twin pines. And then after Marty got done doing whatever was the lone pines. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I forget all the different uh, connections they make in that film, but I mean, you could probably spin all kinds of connections out of anything. But I don't know. It it almost seems like it, there's something there. Uh, I'll go along with it. But yeah, Daniel, what else do you got to say about this? Well, let's talk about. Um... Uh oh, I can't hear him. I can hear him. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, Robert. Can yeah, you? Yeah, hear yeah, me? yeah. All right. Good. Good. All right. So, uh, where do we want to go with this next? Um, the budget apparently was $19 million. It hit $200 million. I, I saw a stat saying, or no, maybe it was, I don't know. I came across it somewhere saying uh, for all the movies that have hit the $200 million mark at the box office, this was the slowest to get to the $200 million mark. It was two weeks slower than My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which is in second place, something like that. Yep. Hmm. Well, that is interesting. It was a sleeper hit. I guess I would call that a sleeper hit. Yeah. Had longevity. Yeah, definitely. Well, also, the first movie, uh, if you went to go see in the theaters when it debuted, there was no to be continued. The uh, creators decided there it only had to be one film, but there was such a clamor for more, they wound up doing part two and then part three. They did part two and they realized, well, we can tie everything back together again if we do part three. Um, just coming from the bookish world that I tend to reside in, uh, one of the things that everybody most appreciates about the Harry Potter books, which are by far the greatest uh, literary things to happen in the past 20 or 30 years, is the fact that she ties everything up so nicely in her series. 
um, Back to the Future, everything ties up so nicely in the series. And there's a lot of details. Um, you just keep poking around. You just keep seeing more and more every time you watch it. And they do a great job of tying it all together. And it, there's no loose ends, really. Um, there's not like, oh, well, what, what about this? Or this doesn't seem right with compared to the first one and the third one. There seems to be a disparity. But there really isn't because they tie it all together somehow. You just have to look at the details. And there's a lot of details. We can go the proto-Trump route and talk about Biff Cannon in part two. Um, they, they, they uh, uh, what's the word? They molded Biff's character in part two off of Donald Trump because at the time the Atlantic city craze was going on. That's when they were trying to bring back Atlantic city. It was in the pits and then they did a rejuvenation project and Trump was out there saying, yeah, I got my Caesars palace, Trump tower casino thing now, which folded, I think 10 years ago. And um, they decided to run with it. That's why Biff has blonde hair. Uh, when he, when Marty McFly goes up to the, uh, up to the entrance of it, and he's looking at that little video of how Biff made his millions. Um, that kind of falls in line with Trump's history. So uh, it's kind of like how the Simpsons kind of predicted Trump would be president. Uh, the the uh, guys that created Back to the Future thought they would have a few laughs and say, yeah, what if Trump became a tin pot dictator of this this little Hill Valley area? Little did they know that he would be in charge of the whole country. But uh, there you go. And I think he kind of rules the country the way he kind of ruled Hill Valley and Back to the Future too. Like he's not well liked. Uh, people get on him about his character and his demeanor and all that sort of thing. So I think they did a good job at portraying Trump. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. And, and you mentioned that Simpsons thing. I've seen that the uh, the clip from the Simpsons where he's going down the escalator and waving and there's people there and they're like, <laughs> yep. there's all these like uh, elements in it, like a kid's got a balloon or something. And then they show actual footage of that thing happening 15 years later. And it's like 20 different things line up exactly which is really kind of eerie and weird. Isn't it? Um, I think they call the casino, if I'm not mistaken, in part two, they call the casino Biff Tower, if I'm not mistaken, you know, as a, as a spinoff of Trump Tower, which existed back then. Right, yeah. And then another uh, premonition for Trump was uh, Rage Against the Machine had a, a video they shot, and there were people holding up Trump for president signs in that video. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that. And that one was shot on Wall Street. Um, it might have been Bulls on Parade, but don't quote me on that. Hey, was that the uh, the music video with um, Michael Moore? Maybe. It was like back in like 2000. What? Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty long time ago. Oh. It's like where Michael Moore like stormed into Wall Street and like shut down like one of the trading centers for like a like a hot minute before the cops checked him out. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. I have to go back and look myself. Yeah, well, we'll find all these weird, obscure YouTube videos that we're talking about. Put them on our show notes page at lastnerds.com slash 88. I think... Uh, if anything, those those will be fun to watch. Well, we all live in the Matrix, so none of this makes sense. Yeah, there you go. There's a ton of stuff that you can get out of the Back to the Future franchise um, that ties into other things. So, for example, we, we keep talking about the DeLorean, which is you know center, front front stage. But they, they originally, uh, instead of it being a DeLorean, they figured it would be a refrigerator. That would be the time machine. And after a few drafts, they decided to get rid of the refrigerator. But as a bit of a funny joke they did the whole refrigerator routine shtick with Indiana Jones and the crystal skulls. So I don't know if you saw that movie um, when he's at the nuclear site where they set off the bomb and he's like, Oh crap. And he just closes himself off in one of those old frigidaires and he goes shooting across the desert. Um, that was what they were anticipating on doing with the original time machine, supposedly somehow. Um, I don't know the details about it, but you're was, telling uh, me that there's a fourth Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. There's uh, 
was the first one? Temple Sacrilege. Yeah, yeah. I don't, right. I don't think so, sir. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. no, no. 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 The, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple Doom. There the was Last uh, Crusade, and then that was the, the end of the King. movie series. No, That's no, how they King. wrapped it up. No, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, what's that kid's name? Shia LaBeouf or Shia LaBeouf or whatever. And they brought back his love interest from um, the uh, the Ark movie. Are you just yeah. making this all up off the top I, I, of your head? I know. I saw it in the. That's nobody talks about it because it kind of sucked. <laughs> it was pretty bad in terms of Indiana Jones movies. I would rate them all out of ten stars. I would rate them all like nine. I would rate Crystal Skulls like four. And it still involved Nazis. Uh, Kate Blanchett played uh, the villain. Which doesn't well, make I'm not, sense. I'm not convinced, but it's possible that you're telling the truth on well, this. Well, Daniel, you've got you've got your computer right there. Pull it up real quick, or do you want to not? Maybe it's it a fan film. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can assure you, Doctor Robert is fucking with you. Let um, me tell you something. They're making a number. They're 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 in the works to make a number. If you can believe this, a number five. Yeah, just like the uh, Rambo five is coming out this fall, I think. And that looks. Good. Yeah, that, that actually good. does look good. And then the new Top Gun looks pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. Are you guys gonna go see that? Well, what is with the 80s movies coming back with all the original stars? I I don't know if I'm on board with all this. I'm okay well, maybe awesome. with the Matrix, maybe. But the Matrix but was know. the first Matrix was perfect as is, like no need to remake that. Yeah. And it also Well, they're not remaking it. It's a it's a continuation, supposedly. It's Matrix 4. Okay, all right. Supposedly. With with Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss. I don't know about Lawrence Fishburne, but at least those two. Okay. I don't know. Oh, he's in everything. So I don't know. And then see one of the now. one of the Wachowski sisters. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But is this gonna be a prequel or something like that? This new I one don't, they're thinking of doing? I don't know. Well they kinda have know. to I just, don't they? I, At this point, it like just, it ended, didn't did it not? How much does nostalgia get you? Does it get you the millions? Because we're doing Rambo, we're doing Top Gun, we did Lion King, we did Aladdin, I mean, we're doing the Matrix. It's just I, a quick way to make money. That's a quick it, it's 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 a rotten thing to do too, in my opinion. I don't know. I guess people get value out of it or else they wouldn't go see these things. But no, the one that I am looking forward to is Bill and Ted three. Oh, that that's right. We're also doing that. Then they have death coming back in that one, but I don't know what they're going to do because Carwin's dead. So I don't know what they're going to do for the other guy. So maybe they can deep sing. fake him. <laughs> yeah, maybe who knows with technology, they can do all kinds of things nowadays. Yeah. Have you seen that Tom Cruise deep fake with uh, Bill Hader? That's creepy. No, no, oh, it's, 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 it's un- unsettling, unsettling how smooth it is. All I know is I'm glad I was a kid in these. I think that seems to have been like a peak pop culture wise. I'm not saying everything went downhill after that, but it seems to have definitely been a high. And it shows because, like you guys are saying, they're bringing all this 80s stuff back, you know, in some way, shape, or form. I mean, even things like the G.I. Joe movies and Transformers and all that, like everything right now, Ready Player won the book, which was then made into a movie. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. I don't know if it's just let's get the 80s out of our system um because we haven't looked back at it in a while maybe they'll do the same thing with the 90s but i don't know i don't know how yeah i don't know if the 90s are going to have the same nostalgia value i mean maybe with pokemon and stuff like that but i don't know about a lot of that 90s stuff was really bad yeah i agree with you so i think the 80s might have been it like after the 80s you know not that great i mean you think of the 80s you think you think comedy for one you had ghostbusters you had back to the future you had caddyshack you had uh the National Lampoon was big. Um, you know, Chevy Chase, John Candy. You had all these great guys. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield was in his prime then, I think, right? Um, sure. Yeah, back to school. Yeah. And and that's when Sunday morning cartoon, uh, Saturday morning cartoons really came into the fore. Um, and after that, 
I mean, you can look at different, you know, they're more like outliers, though, in the 90s. Yeah, there was this one little thing here and one little thing there. But for the most part, the 80s was just all hot stuff and big time stuff that's lasted with us. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, every generation's got their nostalgia of when they were kids, bringing stuff back to when them when they were adults. But having lived through both the 80s and the 90s, I would say that the 80s are objectively better. Oh, yeah. That's just, I, I just, I don't know. I, I enjoyed a lot of the 90s, but I don't think it's it aged well compared to the stuff in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, anything that you look at, even like politics, you know, Reagan was a character in and of himself. Um, speaking of which, to get back to the Back to the Future movie for just a second, you know the scene where uh, Marty meets Doc for the first time back in the 50s? And he's like trying to prove to him that he's from the future. And he goes, who's the president? Uh, it's Ronald Reagan. He's like, Ronald Reagan, the actor? Uh, supposedly Reagan loved that so much they had to like go back and restart the film before that scene because he was laughing so darn hard. But uh, yeah, you had the Cold War ending. Um, yeah, there's like a dud. You had like H.W. Bush in the 90s who nobody remembers. You had Clinton. The only thing he's remembered for is Monica Lewinsky, which is not a positive thing. Um, yeah, it was just the 80s. There was, there was meat. There was substance there, no matter where you looked. Um, not so much in the 90s or after. Well, and in the 90s, I don't know about a lot of things, but a lot of the 90s was when they started using some really clunky CGI, oh, really yeah. clunky CGI that has yes. not aged and will not age. I mean, and then you got a lot of, I don't know, people really read a lot of comics like I did in the 90s, but um, that was when everything was extreme. Yes. I and yeah, everybody had like all these little packs on their their uniforms. They all had like a 50 guns and they're all lugging around all this crap. And <laughs> It was just it was just crap. It was extreme for the sake of being extreme, not because it fit the character or made any sense to the story. So you, nobody, I don't think, really looks back on that with a lot of nostalgia like uh, they do with, say, like Ghostbusters or something like that. Just classic stuff that exists in the universe they create and makes sense and entertains you or back to the future. Yeah, they didn't have so, that CGI. So, I mean, I think the only... <clears throat> To me, one of the only CGI movies that worked in the 90s was Jurassic Park. I was blown away by that when I, was, when I saw that. I was like, wow, this is great. But they also used a lot of robotics. Um, but in the 80s, that was that seemed to be the peak of special effects. I mean, you had Alien. You had uh, one of my favorites of all time, John Carpenter's remake of uh, The Thing, um, which mm -hmm. was all kinds of gore. You had Fre the Freddy Krueger. Um, that was a funny slasher. But at the same time, there was a great makeup job there, um, what they did with uh, killing people. I mean, yeah. And then... Now you have CGI is better. You have Avatar and all that. I, I'll give them credit where credit is due. But yeah, the '90s it was just it was just starting out, and it's just horrible. Like you look at something like The Lawnmower Man, and it's like, oh my god, oh, I didn't but, come up with something. I you know, use that. I will agree with you that CGI is objectively looks better than something that you have to make by hand. But I will say that from a storytelling perspective or a creative director perspective, when you can just Put anything on the screen that your imagination wants to put on versus having to come up with some creative solution to a problem of not yes. being able to put everything you can put on. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to come up with far more interesting films when you have to work within limits. Yep. When you can I agree. just like, there's so many, I mean, like when, for example, you brought up Ready Player One. Well, Ready Player One just has like a million things on screen at any given time. And sometimes when you just flood the entire screen with a million things, it loses all meaning. You know uh -huh. what I mean? Like uh -huh. Jurassic Park, when they use CGI and they, you know, really had to make that T-Rex and all that. I mean, it, they like milked it for every bit that they could. Right. Because, you know, this thing's really expensive. We got to really make use of this thing. 
make, make it effective. Whereas, you know, CGI is getting so cheap and whatever now that, yeah, you can just be like, oh, well, don't worry about that. We'll just we'll CGI it later. Don't worry. And then you've got actors reacting to nothing. So giving wooden, you know, performances. I'm a fan of CGI when it's done really well. And it's getting better, but it's still a process that is maturing. Yes, I would agree with that. So anyway, I, 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 I like nostalgia for me, but I like I like the CGI now. But it's just when it's something real, like even a robot or something, I find that uh, more appealing because it seems more flesh and blood, um, not so much video game or something like that. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's like a different medium. It's kind of I'm ironic glad. that you think the robot is more flesh and blood. Oh, you can watch. <laughs> well, you could watch the thing today, and I think it still holds oh, up. You could yeah. watch Back to the Future today, and it still holds up. I'm a big horror movie fan. I've had. Um, cousins and whoever and younger friends we sit around and watch stuff that they haven't seen they've been exposed to the stuff from the 80s and they're more scared from the thing and and even like freddy krueger even though that's more of a a funny thing but they they just haven't been exposed to that sort of uh flesh and blood i I don't know another way to put it makeup style and special effects that you just don't get it's almost not cartoonish but it's almost like a cartoon with the cgi it's a different realm and they're just not used to it. And they're actually more scared from what I've experienced. But what do I know? That's anecdotal evidence. And that's not real evidence anyway. Um, <clears throat> that the 80s still has strong staying power. And I'm glad that uh, Back to the Future was made before CGI. I guess there's a couple scenes where they use... Do they use CGI at all in any of the films? I'm thinking if anything... Compositing. Yeah, maybe maybe part but three. But they don't. But I don't know. A couple scenes. Yeah. I, I know that when they were Maybe. doing like the hoverboard scenes, that was all wires and whatnot. And they had a really difficult time with that. And they would have preferred CGI because of all the crap that they went through to get the scenes right. But at the same time, they're looking back on it. They're happy that they didn't have CGI and they they're happier that they went with the, the wiring because that just uh, made it that much more visceral, I guess much more realistic. But my favorite, you got to work within constraints right. when you actually have to do a thing for real, you have to work within constraints and the audience is along board with that ride. Whereas if you're just, it's just some CGI thing, a cartoon, you're just like, well, okay. But yep. you know what I mean? Like yep. the actor actually has to react to the situation they're in and you can see the look on their face and you can feel it. Yes. Whereas, right. you know what I mean? Like uh, I just saw John Wick was in theaters and there was a lot of CGI and then towards, I don't know. Well, and one scene he falls off a building and the fall, you can just tell it's complete CGI, and it's horribly done. And then when um, after he's after the fall, he, like you just said, there's a disconnect, and he's trying to get into that that role. He's trying to get into that uh, that that particular moment, but he he's having a harder time than if he actually would have done a fall where there would be like a, even though you wouldn't see it, there'd be like a cushion at the bottom and the strings, and that would be dropping him and all that kind of stuff. Because at least he went through that. Whereas you know you have to use your brain more to to try to get into that that role that that out of body experience, so to speak, and it's more difficult. And you're right, you do see that on the screen. And uh, yeah, but like you said, CGI is coming along and all that, so I'm sure they'll get to a point where it's satisfactory for just about everybody. Well, I yeah, like- it's still a maturing technology. I, it will get better. Um, I don't know if the CGI that's getting made today is going to look like shit in 30 years. Right. Uh, I, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm sure it will continue to be able to get you know the cgi faces to emote properly and to really reflect that i just don't know if they can get the process where you know you just can't endanger an actor necessarily like with all the crazy yeah. things that actors you know the characters get put through they are doing a good job with um 
making characters look different than they are. So, for example, in the Captain America film, when he's all scrawny and everything before he gets all beefed up in the, the lab, that, that was pretty convincing for me. And then, like, another example would be, I don't know if you guys saw the movie The Case of Benjamin Button starring Brad Pitt, where um, he is born old and then he he becomes younger as he gets older. Uh, Brad Pitt was like 45, 50 or something like that in the film. But there's points where they have to make him look like he's 15 or 16. And they did a great job with that. So in some respects, they're already at that that level, whereas other aspects, they're not. But they're coming along. Yeah, I agree with that. What were you going to say, Daniel? Well, I was going to say just anecdotally, and Doc, I think it is actually like half decent evidence. It can't be your entire argument, but no. but you know, personal experience does play a role. And I was a bit of a, a photographer back in the day, and I noted that there was a significant difference in my approach to how I would frame shots and what I would be willing to take photographs of, depending on whether it had film, which had a very limited amount, and whether it had a digital card where I could take hundreds of shots, thousands of shots. Uh, when you do have to work within constraints, you have to conceive of what you're trying to accomplish and take into account many more factors to make sure that what the end result is going to be is going to be what you're going for. When I could just shoot on you know, rapid fire digitally, I would liberally shoot and occasionally get something that was really great, but I would have to sift through thousands of, eh, not so great, eh, discard, discard. And it created a whole new back work, uh, a workflow problem on the back end because instead of having you know a couple of rolls of film to work with, now I had thousands and thousands of images to scroll through. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely changed what types of shots you get as a result. Um, so you know, working with constraints, I think, can be a, a really good thing, and it can kind of focus you in a, a more creative way. You know, get those creative juices flowing and having that kind of be a, a driving force in your process, I think yields a better product as a result. I agree. Here, here. All right. Well, I said something of substance, but let's get back to Back to the Future a little bit. Um, Robert, seeing as you're the one who's seen it most recently, but Doc Brown, yeah. you've seen it thousands of times. Are there any mm. points that you would want to cover before we start doing the wind down? On this episode, well, I took very few notes because I was just enjoying the film, and there really aren't a whole lot of things to nitpick about. Like, you know, Morty or Mar- sorry, Morty. I know it's Rick and Morty, but um, uh, Marty is obviously changing the future with his actions, but he's doing it in a kind of bumbling way. And really, he once he learns that he's affecting the future, and he's just trying to survive. So I don't necessarily think he's an immoral actor in anything he's doing. He's not trying to screw up the world, but Still, his actions have consequences, and he does end up negatively affecting the lives of other characters in what he does. So I I wouldn't say that he's blameless either, um, but as an audience member, of course, we root for him, and we root against the villain, because, of course, Biff's a big jerk. But, um, I mean, I have I have this one note about... It, the, right when we first meet George and Biff, they're arguing about an accident, where Biff borrowed George's car, gotten an accident and then brings it back to George's house and is like, Hey, this is your fault. You never told me that there was a blind spot in the car. Uh And then he's arguing that, you know, George's insurance should cover it because it's George's car. And I mean, I don't know if you guys want to talk about that at all, but it's just clearly that the Biff is in the wrong about this. 
And I don't think the audience is at all convinced by anything Biff says. Well, that's part of a good rhythm to the story too, the whole franchise, because later on in the movie, he does the same thing regarding uh, his homework. And he's like, how come you're not doing my homework and you're not doing it well? And his dad, uh, Marty's dad is like, well, you know, I got these other things going on and I'm writing my, doing his manuscripts for sci-fi books and whatever. And Biff's like, come on, butthead, get it together. You know? Yeah. So, it just shows that they haven't changed in 30 years. Yeah. I got a question for you guys. Hmm. And this is a big debate that I've come across on Facebook many times. I've been called an evil person for this. So I want to get your opinions on this. Let me know if you think I'm evil. Sounds juicy. Um, <laughs> flying cars, right? Do you think even if they could, they were being made now, that they would be feasible. And what I mean by that is uh, just one example, insurance. So for example, I just got a new car a couple months ago. And I had originally told my car insurance company that I had a certain model. And then I had told them that was the wrong model. Um, so I told them that it was a four-door car. But I then realized, oh, it's a two-door. So when I told them that, my insurance went from X amount to X plus Y amount. Uh, just because it had two less doors, because I guess they figure you're going to be, it's more sport, sporty, so you're going to be a little more aggressive when you drive. I don't know the logic behind it. Maybe you guys do. But if <clears throat> there's a significant difference, it was about a, a 25% difference in my coverage just for the fact that there's doors. What if this thing can go off the road and go flying through the air? When insurance, not just for cars, go up, but insurance for other things like home insurance go up because if somebody has an accident up in the sky, they're going to crash through the roof of the house and kill people and whatever. Wouldn't it be logical for insurance companies to charge astronomical some astronomical rates per month with a flying car? Now, I've been told, that's crazy. How dare you? You're anti-progress. I'm like, no, I'm not anti-progress. I'm just trying to figure out the practicality of it. And for example, the insurance... Wouldn't it be through skyrocket through the roof costs just to have a flying car just for insurance purposes? Well, what do you think? Well, I would say got multiple thoughts from what you were talking about. I don't know if I'll hit them all. I'll probably mm -hmm. forget a few of them as we're talking. But I will say that the average consumers what what the average consumer thinks is feasible is always always way underestimates the market. There's always some genius who comes along and figures something out mm -hmm. that the average person would just be like, "What? Really? Are you are you serious?" So Flying cars, I, of course, I think are it's just, just inevitable. And I think it's probably going to be a system where they're going to be mostly on autopilot, if not entirely. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that they're going to be proven very, very safe. And the insurance premiums aren't going to be that high. I think it's going to be mm -hmm. a, lot like, a lot like anything else, where it's going to be a very normalized thing. But that's, it, there's obviously going to be some growing pains. And then the first, uh, you know, Auto flying car that crashes, it's going to go headlines. And then the first person that dies, and then auto flying car is going to be massive headlines. Yeah. But then those same headlines, like we've said in the past on this show, never also mention the number of people that die every day driving cars on government roads. So, yep. yep. You know, so I, I think it's, I think it's an inevitable thing. I think it's going to get to the market's going to bring the price down to the point where the average person is going to buy one and it's going to vastly improve people's lives. We're going to get off government roads and yes. we'll, can, we can finally put that dumbass argument to rest that who will make the roads? Well, we are not going to need roads, you assholes. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the greatest lines in this movie where we're going, we don't need roads. And I think that's, that's, right. that's basically oh, my, that, that my bumper, bumper sticker mantra for my whole philosophy where there we're going, go. we don't need roads. And, you know, in, in a way, part of your uh, question makes me think of, well, we have aircraft now. 
And air travel is, by all accounts, statistically far safer than any other. But then you'd have a proliferation of additional people, you know, flying vehicles or whatever. But I think if the government got out of the way, then we'd already have flying cars probably right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've had them probably a while ago. Right. And then we would adapt to it. And and whatever, you know, the market would yield would create a, a more beneficial solution to what we have now like robert was saying there's something like i don't know 40 or fifty thousand uh automobile accident deaths per year uh mm-hmm. countless time is spent in traffic congestion um it would be far more efficient to have uh an unconstrained see and the the irony of this is that we were just talking about how you have to get more creative when you are constrained but here we are talking about removing a constraint that is an artificial constraint preventing progress from actually happening providing more and more value, uh, improving the standard of living for everyone involved. Um, but yeah, I, I, and you know, this movie, I, it, it shows us the first flying car in 1985, right? I mean, other than Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Love Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, I think this movie is a little more realistic, even though they call it sci-fi. <laughs> I mean, take, it to, take, take the uh, time travel out of it. I think, I think the flying car aspect is more realistic than in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, what, what did that car fly on? What was it? Was it Flubber? No, what was it? Yeah, no, no, it was, I forget. But Flubber was also, the, the Flubber movie, the, the guy who made Flubber, he was able to fly his car because of Flubber. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't remember what Chitty Chitty Bang Bang flew in. I think it was just magic or something like that. I don't just know. good vibes or something. Good vibes, yeah. Right, and then like, uh, the like outrage the in, the, in the headlines, like you were talking about, Robert, we, we've already seen this with the self-driving vehicles. And whenever there's like something that happens, it's it's a huge story. But then you don't hear about, well, compared to the equivalent around, amount of road miles on regular vehicles, it's actually you know X percent safer. Yeah, and there will still be there will still be a desire or a need for roads for a long time. I think oh, if, sure. you, if you if you watched um, the Logan movie, there are those self driving um, semi trucks mm-hmm. that might still be the most efficient you know way to transport those goods. It might be. I don't know. They already have them. So yeah, there you go. So those will still need to be there. Um, it'll be a gradual period, and then eventually it'll become the most efficient way for everything, and uh, we can. Uh, leave these stupid uh, government roads behind. It'd be great. I know Back to the Future 2, they had a lot of visions for envisioning of technology in the future. And we haven't done all that, but we have done a lot. You know, hoverboards are a thing. And not not the hoverboards that are on two wheels, but they actually have hoverboards now. Right. Um, they just haven't been put out on the market yet, I think because of government regulations, if I'm not mistaken. Well, and the auto lace-up thing, I think that those are... Uh... Somebody actually made those. I, I don't know yes. which brand. Was mm-hmm. it Converse or Adidas or someone like that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And they have, it's not mechanical, but now they have like waterproof shirts and shirts that dry real quick and clothing and whatnot. Um, they have shrinking clothing. They have all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's pretty darn cool. Now, if we can just get the weather right. Okay. It's going to stop raining in three, two, one, done. That'd be good. Yeah. Now, were you guys um, aware of the uh, baseball playoffs in 2015? And how the Cubs were yes. in position to almost <laughs> fulfill the prophecy foretold yes. mm-hmm. in the Back to the Future franchise. Oh, I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that that movie, it's, it's weird. It went 30 years into the future. And then looking back, because, you know, the cultural differences between 85 and 55 were so great. Oh, yeah. But it doesn't seem like the same i mean if you look back at the 80s yeah the culture looks quite different especially compared to today but since i've lived through it you know it's it seems like such a gradual shift 
you know it doesn't seem like it is that much of a difference but i guess i guess looking back it really is quite a bit if you look at some of these people in this movie mm-hmm. yep would you guys like to go if you guys um got transported back to the 1950s would you be okay with that like you couldn't get you couldn't get back would you be would you be frustrated or would you be like i can handle this i mean no, i, I do the best not, i can i mean, I, I, mean I, I invest in all the right things <laughs> i know you're not raging feminazi so you're not like oh my gosh women are oppressed um yeah the patriarchy actually it's interesting yeah um i i run a lot of books and i've been a part of other book clubs and um i we read a book i don't remember which book but it took place in the 1950s and the book club was made up of all women except for me so the meeting had about i would say 20 people and um somebody else not me but i was thinking it mentioned that how the 1950s was great and she had said, you know, the culture was great. The cars were beautiful. The clothing was was great. The hairstyles, uh, food tasted better back then um, without so much preservatives and whatever. And these women just ripped her apart. And how could you think that way? Women, we're still stuck in the home. We have to wear dresses. We have to live with our husbands. It's like, oh, crap. That's not the right way to think. But I could be wrong. That is the, you know, perpetually oppressed viewpoint. Yep. Yeah. So... I'm wondering how many millennials have seen at least Back to the Future one, and I'm wondering how many that have not would freak out and do the whole censure thing and not want it to be shown wherever. Like for example, I work in a library. What would happen if the library decided to show Back to the Future Part One? I wonder how many people would come out of woodwork and say, "You can't be showing this because it makes women look bad and everything else." You know? Yeah, it really is a weird thing that the nature of changing morals or i guess i don't know what to call it just perspectives where all of a sudden something that was fine yesterday is all of a sudden horrifically immoral and oppressive and terrible and shouldn't be shown to children today yeah although you can have drag queens give story time now libraries and that's supposed to be praiseworthy yeah not your not your library though not my not not my library yet (laughs) or what nine-year-old Drag queens stripping for adult men or something. That are naked that, that, that's that's something to be celebrated, but you know, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, to um, answer would, to answer your question, Doc, I would not I would not go back to the 1950s. I think that the standard of living is so immensely better in present time that uh, I would and and this is me playing my pansy card. I would feel, I would suffer not having air conditioning and Wi-Fi and oh, yeah. access oh, yeah. to information and communication and being able to you know, travel somewhere more quickly and all of those things. Um, you know, I, I've gone on the, the tour of um, James J. Hill's house in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And they talk about how he was one of the richest men in the world at the time. And he was so rich that he had these dual functioning lights in his house. They could run on electricity, but also on kerosene or wow. something, you know, something like that because electricity was so like yeah. um, sporadic, you know, it would go out all the yeah. time or whatever. Uh, you know, and, and that was just over a hundred years ago. I mean, his house was, I think built in 1912 or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we live so much better in just the average home today than the richest guy did a hundred years ago. Just, well, you would never know that from the pop culture narrative. Well, of course not. Of course not. But <laughs> you also wouldn't know that, you know, world poverty has been cut in half in the past 20 years. Uh, I thought it was more than that. Is it down like seven percent world poverty or something? It's something like that. But but yeah. the point is, yeah, you're never going to hear about that. The the good news in the mainstream media because that's not what sells. Yeah, right. that's what gets taken for granted and allows people to, 
I don't know, agitate for more or be perpetually oppressed and always feeling like they're the victim and needing to demand things of others. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those um, catch 22 situations, like the better that life gets for people, the more free time they have to <laughs> to to agitate for more things without appreciating what they do have and how much better their life is than it was in a prior generation or two generations back. Oh yeah. We well, see that all the time with, with anything like everyday stuff. Like if um, somebody's trying to get on a website and it takes 10 seconds for it's, this website to load because of the connection speed or whatever, people are freaking out, not realizing that back in 2000, if you had a website load in 10 seconds, you were like, Holy crap, that was fast. You know? What blows my mind is that I've got several friends and I love them to death. I don't mean to piss them off, but they don't listen to the show. It's fine. <laughs> Who, you know, enjoy the fruits of technology every day. It makes their lives innumerably, immeasurably better all the time. But yet at the same time, will bemoan the march of progress of technology, saying how invasive it is and how it's everywhere and you know how they wish they could just get away from it. And I understand it's like, you know, invading all areas of your life and maybe you should step back from that you know not stare at a screen 24 hours a day i completely get that but that's the different to say that yes it's getting too invasive but then also say we should just get rid of it and not appreciate it for what the good things that it does mm -hmm. is uh, disappointing right. it's a this chasmic hypocrisy at the same time yeah because nobody um, bemoans the need to go what was how do you spell that thing and then you know, go find a dictionary nobody's pining for those no, days no or when you get into a debate on facebook it's all about definitions well i gotta know what you mean by and then i tell people well, i need the definition and found in the dictionary look up the dictionary and they're all like huffing and puffing i'm not going to spend time look, typing in to a google search the <laughs> definition of a word i'm like really i'm not really? going to take six seconds i can't do that my time is valuable sir I, I don't do that anymore i used to okay here's a here's an article here here's a three minute YouTube video. I used to all the time. Here's a Tom Woods lecture video. That's like five minutes long. I don't have time for that. If you can't explain it to me in two sentences, you, you're not, you you don't have a convincing argument. You know, I'm like, really, you know, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, unfortunate. I, I, I do feel the pressure myself though. I, I feel like that my time is a very scarce resource these days. And, uh, it, it is difficult to allocate them to things such as watching back to the future in the most recent, uh, <laughs> period of time. And I, I even was going to watch it at two X speed because I have it available to me on YouTube and, uh, I can watch things at that speed. That's how I watch or listen to most lectures, lectures or Tom Woods episodes, things like that. And I just become oh. accustomed to it. And it's kind of bizarre because like, I can keep up uh, mentally with most of it. I mean, if I listen to Jordan Peterson, I have to slow it down a little bit uh, or someone like that, but uh, usually mm -hmm. 2x speed. But I, on the other side, speak rather slowly, unfortunately. But uh, back to the original question. Yeah, I would I would hate being back in the 1950s other than for maybe, you know, just the novelty of checking it out for a very short period of time and then returning back to my present time where the picture of my family is not erased and I have reset and realigned things. So yeah. That my family ended up uh, in a better position than they otherwise were, just like Marty McFly did by the end of Back to the Future 1, even though he stumbled through it. Okay, Daniel, that's Daniel's answer. My answer is probably kind of like Daniel's answer, but while I'm back in the 50s, I would enjoy the hell out of it. I would get famous for being like a Nostradamus type of guy. There you go. You know, I mean, I would know all kinds of stuff. 
I could predict the future on all sorts of things. And you don't have a sports almanac to incriminate you. I yeah. wouldn't even have a sports almanac. I wouldn't need one. I could talk about just inventions that haven't been invented yet and oh, yeah. blow their mind. Would you invent rock and roll like Marty McFly did? Ooh. <laughs> That's pretty badass. Your kids are going to love it. <laughs> yeah. Love it man. yeah, anyway, it's, uh, it's a great film. Great film. Everybody should watch it if they haven't. I'm sure everybody's watched it a couple times. All right, well, let's it's do our, a, our summary and review. I think we're about that time. And we, we sort of wa- talked about this movie a little bit. And uh, we'll go with you, Robert, and then uh, Doc Brown. So, like I said, Back to the Future is a film that you can watch probably every year until you die and enjoy it every time. Like all the greats, um, it really cared about the story, the writing, and then everything else was, you know, just fell into place. So the acting was excellent. Uh, Michael J. Fox was at probably the peak of his powers, or maybe just before the peak of his powers. I mean, he's a, he plays a 17-year-old. I don't know if he was actually 17 at the time. He was a little bit older than that, but he did a great job. He's got a lot of charm, you know. He's just like like, like a little guy you like you root for, and uh, you know it, the story is just tight. And the movie respects your time. It's it's very quick. The, the there's not a lot of wasted wasted time, or there's no like plot points that don't go anywhere. It all, every, everything that happens, happens for a reason. It's, uh, it's, it's refreshing. You get used to that not happening. And then you watch this and you're like, oh, oh, this is what movies could be. It's weird that this movie is, you know, 30, what is it, 34 years old now? And yet it's still so, so good. Maybe I sound like some old fart talking about the good old days, but uh, this movie really holds up. And I'm going to, I'm going to give this movie an 8.8, but you assholes, I'd be, you, you're not allowed to copy me because I'm just original. Cool guy. All right. Very good, Robert. And uh, very cliche in the scoring department, but that's just totally fine. You, you knew that was baked in the cake when uh, <laughs> when this was going to be episode 88. Um, Doc, your your thoughts on the final summary and review and your score. Ah, it's one of the greatest movie series franchises of all time, in my opinion. Um, it's got sound narrative. It's got fulfilling characters. It's fun. There's no agenda, feel good thing. Yes, there's some downs in the movie uh, throughout, but overall, it's feel good. It's uplifting. Um, it was ahead of its time in some regards. I don't know if, how many people have seen the latest Avengers movie, but in that movie, they go back to the original movie and some other movies and take care of some things in order to get the plot on. And Back to the Future, may have the franchise may have been the first one to do that where uh, characters go back to previous scenes and previous movies in order to further the plot along. Uh, it was ingenious. It was creative. It was visionary. It's created a cult following that has parties across the country with tens of thousands of people in attendance. Um, it's comedy. It's sci-fi. There's something there for everybody. Uh, the characters were extraordinary. The people who played the characters did an ex- excellent job. Uh, brought nostalgia. It showed the best of the times that took place in the 50s, the 80s, the optimism about the future. Um, I think it promotes capitalism to an extraordinary degree. And I also think it promotes libertarianism in terms of allowing people to make their own choices and decisions and dealing with those, the consequences of those decisions. And I just think it deserves at least a 9.3. All right. Upping the stakes here. Well, those are both very good summaries and reviews. And um, I'm going to have to dust off uh, my memory banks on this because, again, and I admit this, I am a bit hypocritical being a movie critic who hasn't watched this movie in, in uh, about a decade. But it it is one that has very, very many memorable scenes and it does stick with you. It is a cultural icon. 
uh, it is a lot of fun to think about uh, in the past. And I think that, as I said earlier, it's a movie that sticks to the universe that it has created and doesn't break that universe. And I think that that is kind of rare these days. And so it's a nice thing to be able to go back to. I think it's going to remain a classic and remain rewatchable um, going forward. And when my kids are old enough, uh, I will watch this with them. Uh, one of the things that prevented me from watching this in recent times was because I had the kids, just me and them for the past few nights, because my wife has been going, my wife has been going to a uh, evening class to learn how to not learn how, but to be certified to homeschool. And I didn't think that I could watch this movie with them, unfortunately. So that's why I am being the, uh, the negative Nelly on this as far as not having a whole lot to contribute. But I think it is a good movie and I do highly recommend it, but I can't really give it a score. So I know, I know we're, we're going to be missing out on, on my uh, made up number on this one, but um, it was a really good discussion with you guys. And so I appreciate doc, you coming on and uh, talking about this and we'd love to have you back sometime in the future. I, I know that uh, you're big on the Stephen King and the, the lore around that. So maybe we could get into something about that. Uh, you were on you very much. two years ago for it and it too is coming out. I don't know if it'd be worthy of discussion, but uh, maybe, maybe at some point. Um, And uh, Robert, I think next week we're going to do a bit of a reversal. We're going to go from this semi-wholesome film uh, to a straight out of Compton film. So we're going to do the exact opposite of what Ice Cube did, where he went from a very rough uh, situation and then started making family movies. We're going to go from a family movie into a bit of a rougher movie. And we're going to have the Afro-Libertarian come on and join us for that one next week. Ooh, cool. Fun stuff. Yeah, the original, well, the biography of NWA made what? I don't know, it was like 10 years ago now? 2015. uh, I think they call it a biopic. Biopic. Four years ago. From what I hear, I, I didn't hear a whole lot of griping from the original members of NWA. So I assume that the story is fairly accurate. So, uh, yeah, should be good. Indeed, sir. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I think it'll be fun. And I do promise to watch this one. And uh, there is an extended director's cut version by F. Gary Gray. And so I think that will be the one that I watch. And uh, I'll make that available to you, Robert, so that we can both have watched the film for next week. And uh, I think we'll have a little bit more <laughs> relevant content related specifically to the film. Uh, that's a little bit different than what we Ooh. did for tonight. But uh, Doc Brown, thank you for bringing your analysis and some of the background, especially regarding the DeLorean. That was really interesting stuff. And the drug war did really screw that up. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll be harping on the drug war, I'm sure, a fair amount next week. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. I'm honored, as always, to be with two amazing superstars. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You're a legend. Well, thanks again. And thank our audience. Uh, This is uh, available at lastnighters.com slash 88 and also on thelaunchpadmedia.com. Show notes and more will be on both of those pages. and. Uh, I do wish you guys to join us next week for Straight Out Compton. Peace out, everyone. Good night from last night. All right, just a couple more minutes on the Actual Anarchy podcast with our <coughs> friend here, Doc Brown and Robert Johnson. And um, I don't know, I feel like Maybe this might be a, a moment to mention that a friend of ours who was a Patreon supporter of ours and, and a really good guy overall, uh, we've mentioned him on the show in the past when he was fighting 
cancer. Uh, we promoted his like GoFundMe page and a lot of people chipped in and that was really helpful. So we appreciate that, of course. But on September 1st, he ended up on the uh, losing side of that battle. Um, and so we've lost a very good man who was a uh, strong advocate for liberty, a great meme creator, and um, a really good uh, guy to go into the trenches in the Facebook debate comments with. Uh, so, Joe, we appreciated you. And um, I don't know, I guess I want to throw a little dedication out to you. Uh, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Doc. I know you knew him. If you want to say a word or two, and then we'll go to Robert, and then we'll wind down the actual Anarchy podcast. He was he was inspirational. He was uh, a hero on the volleyball court. He was a hero to all of us in the libertarian circles online. Everybody knew who he was. He was very positive. Every single picture of him, uh, video, etc., just he has a smile on his face and he's laughing. He never got uh, vicious with anybody. Any of the detractors and a the course of a debate online um and he just muscled through best he could and he kept a positive light on his situation at all times and um when i found out i i really hit it hard i actually had to leave work for a couple hours and say uh, you know i need a moment and my boss was nice enough to let me do that and uh yeah he was just somebody that i never got the chance to meet that i really wanted to just like i want to meet the two of you and many others and uh i'm less for not having had the ability to meet him in the flesh. And I just hope that uh, he rests in peace in heaven above. And I hope to meet him on the other side. God bless. All right. Very nice words. And and Robert, I know you didn't know Joe very well. Um, Probably just maybe a little bit in passing. So I won't necessarily put you on the spot here, but uh, if you do want to say anything, you know, feel free. And then uh, we'll say good night. Well, I, yeah, I didn't really know Joe very well. I I saw him in the, the, the Facebook groups here and there, and he always had good things to say. But uh, it sounds like he really made an impact on a lot of people, and I'm sure he'll be very well missed. He's uh, way too young to be taken so soon, and it always sucks when uh, another liberty advocate leaves us. So, yeah, it's just shitty. And, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, and so on that uh, on that note, um, I think we're going to say goodnight, everyone. We'll do a little bit of Kathleen Turner Overdrive with our friend Doc Brown. Uh, that is available for our Patreon supporters. And, uh Join us next week for Straight Out of Compton with the Afro Libertarian. Uh, good night, everyone, and maximum freedom. The Chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do, 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 days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. 
at Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.